Hello, and welcome to all of you charming, wretched, terribly sexy, and doubtless extraordinarily discerning human beings. You're listening to the inaugural episode of Philosophy Can Ruin Your Life. My name is Brian Cook, and I'm going to be your host for this podcast series. So, because this is our first episode, I'd like to take a moment to say a little bit about what this series is about, uh, why it exists, and what it hopes to do. In saying this, I'd also like to take the opportunity to promise that I'm never going to do anything like this again. So if you want to skip the intro and move straight to the good bits with Dr. Clemens, uh, we should have some information for you below about how far you need to skip ahead. Now, I've been wanting to do something like this podcast for a very long time. The fact that the podcast exists at all owes a great debt to a number of people, um, but particularly to our first guest, Dr. Justin Clemens, and to my friends, Dr. James Garrett, who is the producer of the show. James and I are both members of a not-for-profit para-academic organisation called the Melbourne School of Continental Philosophy, which is dedicated, as you might guess, to the teaching of European philosophy. If you want to hear more about the MSCP, please follow the links below. But putting ourselves aside, I'm assuming that you'll want to know what's the deal with this podcast, why philosophy can ruin your life. Well, the simplest reason for the existence of the podcast is that we want people to get excited about philosophy. We want people to read. We want them to be inspired by. uh, We want the way they see the world to change on the basis of an encounter with thinkers like Gilles Deleuze, Catherine Malabou, Alain Badiou, Spinoza, Hegel, Leibniz, Simon Weil, Jacques Lacan, Freud, Kant, Hegel, Hannah Arendt, and, and all the rest. Second, I'm lucky to know many brilliant people whose thinking I'd like to air to expose to as wide an audience as possible. I don't know about you, but if there's one thing that gets me up in the morning, it's the prospect of listening to very clever people, not just explain their way of thinking, but also uh, be provoked by conversation or discussion into live thinking. I just don't think that there's very much that's as exciting as this, sad as this probably makes me. Third reason, and here I realise I risk idiosyncrasy, I suppose I should add a disclaimer that what I'm about to say is entirely my own opinion and thus in no way representative of the ideas of our guests or of the Melbourne School of Continental Philosophy. But the third reason is, as I say, to do with what I perceive to be the parlous state of at least what passes for philosophy in some quarters today. So, On the one hand, I'm sure you know that one of the ways in which philosophy differs from other discipline is that the object of philosophy, even the task of philosophy, is not something upon which philosophers or people who study philosophy necessarily agree. Unlike, say, biology, philosophy always reserves the right to, some might say neurotically, interrogate its own usefulness, to interrogate its inherited traditions, to reject features of those traditions, to uh, update its mores, etc. However, having said that, I think we can say at the outset that there are certain conceptions of of philosophy that this podcast is explicitly directed against. So first, philosophy can ruin your life, even in its very name, is directed at the kinds of platitude-mongering that we find in the works of Alain de Botton, the School of Life and their Epigonies. 
Now, I hope it goes without saying that my problem with these guys has nothing to do with their attempts to make philosophy popular. On the contrary, I think that's a totally salutary goal, and it's my hope that this podcast will find as wide an audience as possible, uh, and that we'll succeed at making people interested in the kind of stuff we want to talk about. Instead, my objection to the school of life is the extent to which they render philosophy innocuous. They render it sterile and strangely connected to comfort, strangely comforting. This is philosophy as a Sunday morning distraction. This is philosophy as a sort of petit bourgeois patina on the molten rock of existence. It's philosophy as a nice glass of wine at the end of a long evening. We have our little pleasures for the morning, our little pleasures for the evening, and we blink, to paraphrase Nietzsche out of context. And I think that this is shown nowhere better than in the kinds of incredibly audience-flattering and banal questions that the School of Life tends to ask in the name of philosophy. Does wine taste nice? How can art uplift and improve us? Is Goethe better than reality television? The answer to all of those questions, by the way, is yes. Sorry to spoil their seminars. Should philosophy ask entirely rhetorical questions whose answers are both obvious and toe-curlingly twee? Perhaps if we spend a lot of time at work, we could also do with some leisure. There's nothing in any of this for which a Socrates might have been put to death. Nothing that's going to rouse anyone from their dogmatic slumbers, or even from their afternoon nap. Nothing for which anyone's going to go to jail. Nothing that's going to get people screaming, obscurantism, heresy, make it stop, etc. This is Plato not as opposed to Prozac. It's Plato as Prozac. Second issue. While many of the people on the show are academics, uh, admirable academics, admirable teachers and researchers, we at Philosophy Can Ruin Your Life are certainly committed to a vision of philosophy as rigorous discipline rather than arbitrary opinion swapping, etc. Nonetheless, there are unquestionably some problems with academic philosophy today. For example, if we look around the world, and particularly the Anglophone world, uh, but I think this is probably also true of Europe and Asia, the real growth industry in philosophy is ethics, and in particular that which calls itself applied ethics. While there's nothing wrong with asking questions about the good or about the good life, the problem that I have with ethics is that I think the rise and rise of academic ethics has less to do with any real desire to interrogate the way we live and more to do with bureaucratic literal mindedness. What do I mean by this? What I mean is... It seems to me people responsible for giving out grants look around the world, see that the world is a shambles, see that there's a lot of corruption and murder, that the 21st century still hasn't succeeded in abolishing slavery, child prostitution, poverty, immiseration, wild irrationalism. People look at this world and they think, wait, wouldn't it be great if we could teach people how to be less shitty? And of course, if we want to teach people to be good, or at least not bad, presumably it's better if we have an applied version of this whole not making people bad technology, as opposed to a merely theoretical version. 
This is what I mean by bureaucratic literal mindedness, the idea that something that has the word applied in front of it is definitely going to be more practical, uh, more useful than something that does not have this word in front of it. So ethics, applied ethics, these things become shibboleths that get people into a headspace where they think, ha, huh, these philosophical subfields have names which make it sound like they might have something to do with doing good or changing the world. My problem with this is one, I think that the rise in ethics is largely determined and governed by external, that is, extra-philosophical criteria of what the world needs. So preconceived notions uh, coming from elsewhere than philosophy that are immunised to philosophy even though they purport to govern it. And moreover, I worry about the role of ethics as a rubber stamp for existing institutions and for want of a better world world i almost said for want of a better world for want of a better word but also a better world extant evils so you can imagine the executives of monsanto doing a three-day seminar on aristotle so the idea would be that after talking a little bit about the virtues all the executives go away all dedicated to saving the planet and enhancing the conditions of life for the vast majority of human beings in addition I feel that ethics as a discipline has a real danger of avoiding larger questions of systemic injustice, in, in fact, of obscuring such questions right? by turning everything into a matter of frictionless personal choice. This is an, an ethics of the supermarket, an eternal narcissistic consumer ethics, a set of imperatives designed by philosopher technocrats, and people can be technocrats even if they're Californian hippies, to tell various well-off people how best to spend their money and manage their speech so they don't have to feel complicit in the ills of the world. Second, while this podcast, I suppose, connects to the continental side of the parochial analytic continental divide in English-speaking philosophy, if you've never heard of this divide, that's brilliant and you're probably a good person, but one of the failures of the philosophical tendencies to which philosophy can ruin your life is most sympathetic, the continental philosophy, um, is the tendency for continental philosophy to live this sad afterlife, this awful devolution where rigorous creative thought is sterilized and co-opted into a sort of pretentious, tedious and pathetically ubiquitous jargon, a kind of stockpile of decontextualized shibboleths that can be used in a marketplace of grant applications to, I don't know, um, pimp an application to study Shakespeare or medieval history or contemporary theatre, try to artificially stimulate this tiny frisson of intellectual rigour by invoking big names and edgy sounding concepts. At its worst, you get fragments of Deleuze and Guattari being used to create this sort of sad simulacrum of management jargon. Everyone scrounging in the dust trying to find the new super watchword that will simultaneously imply innovation, growth, adaptation, creativity, integrity, ethics, and, I don't know, revolution, all the while collapsing into a world in which academic discourse is indistinguishable from what is put out by marketing departments. Last I suppose what I want to oppose is the idea that philosophy is just another middle-class job. Philosophy as identical to academe, philosophy as a profession uh, that can take you to various post -institute, posh institutions in Europe or the United States where you can then presumably find a way of hanging out with 
cool rich people and owning a yacht or whatever else constitutes the telos of humanity in the 21st century. Finally, while I'm ranting, I want to suggest that today we live in an age of neo-Victorianism. What do I mean by neo-Victorianism? Well, so when I was younger, uh, whenever you read a history text or literary criticism or whatever, you'd find people mocking the Victorians. Hell, you, you can find this in popular culture today. You can find it in TV shows. And what is it that we mock about the Victorians? Well, the Victorians have become our model for hypocrites. Why are the Victorians hypocrites? Well, the idea is that Victorians is a society of this incredibly self-confident period of a society that believes it's the apex of progress, even though the apex can, excuse the mixed metaphor, somehow be surpassed. Uh, It's the idea that they're at the culmination of history and riding the train of progress into even greater civilization. However, we know that the 20th century looks back on the 19th century and calls bollocks, right? It looks back and says, hang on, this sanctimonious dynamic civilization with its technological marvels actually rest on a foundation of colonial exploitation, immiseration of half the planet, bloody massacres, generalised corruption, poverty and oppression. So we also associate, and this is important, the Victorians with an extraordinary focus on ethics, by which I mean a focus on correct speech, a focus on social mores, a kind of excessive fetishistic focus on individual behaviour, grooming, discourse, which nonetheless, despite all its pretentious morality, morality of a particular class, never actually has anything to do with the seething darkness beneath the surface of this glittering world, through which people float in various stages of melancholia. The reason I want to run this podcast is that I believe we are living in an age very like that of the Victorians. In such an age, it is the task of philosophy to challenge complacency. It is the task of philosophy to repudiate the banal orthodoxies that govern the planet. It is the task of philosophy to reject those inherited conceptual frameworks that give us our instinctive sense of what matters, what's important, who the good people are, etc. This is why, in the end, I don't want a podcast, like so many others, that comes uh, with a built-in apology for philosophy, uh, with some idea that, boring as it may sound, unsexy as it may sound, philosophy can, who knows, it make you get a better job, uh, improve your self-confidence, make you better in bed, you'll have more money, people would like you more. No, no, I refuse this apology. This isn't a podcast um, that tries to suggest the various ways in which philosophy can ameliorate an already unbearable existence. On the contrary, I'm going to say it now, I'm going to say it at the outset, I'm going to say it every episode, philosophy can ruin your life and that is glory thank you very much for listening and welcome to the podcast